Okay, time to podcast. Ready to embarrass myself in three, two, one. Podcasting, the final frontier. This is the Hammer Podcast. It's 30-minute mission to rehash geeky topics, to seek out new bastions of nerdiness, to timidly go where the more talented have gone before. Greetings, and welcome to The Hammer Podcast, the official podcast of thehammerstrikes.com. My name is Gene Hendricks, and, as you can tell from the opening, I am a geek, and I like Star Trek. While this is not a Star Trek podcast, this will be a Star Trek episode. The reason for that is simple. I am a geek because of Star Trek, and for that, I blame my parents. Not that being a geek, or a lover of Star Trek, is a bad thing. Far from it. It's just that I happen to know what it was that caused my geek gene to kick in. It was sometime between 1981 and 1982. I know this because I remember it, and I don't remember anything before the first day of kindergarten, which was in September of 1981. I also know that was before The Wrath of Khan came out, which would be June of 1982. So... Why do I blame my parents for turning me into a geek? Simple. The VCR they bought. You see, my dad was one of the first people, at least among my friends, to buy a VCR. It was one of those old, top-loading jobs, and we had the woodcase TV in our living room. Now, we would tape things off of the networks and HBO, like just about everyone did, but we also had some regular VHS tapes that we bought from the store. This is where my mom comes into the story. She had been a fan of Star Trek since the beginning. In fact, she was a freshman in high school when it came out in September of 1966. She wasn't one of those I-must-write-letters-to-keep-it-on-the-air kind of fans, but she enjoyed it enough for what it was, and one of the first movies we bought on tape was Star Trek The Motion Picture. Once I saw the movie, I was hooked. Even though, at the time, I had no idea who the characters were or why they were acting this way. It was so visually stunning that I watched it over and over and over. To this day, I get choked up when the travel pod comes around, the music builds, and then we see the Enterprise. This was the first time I had ever seen the ship, and it was, and still is, gorgeous. Everything about this movie was stunning to me, even the space pajamas, which I have since come to see as being a bit silly, but I wore underoos back then, and it made sense to my kid mind. For the first time, in my opinion, you got to see how huge the Enterprise was. Engineering went from a set of rooms on the TV show to this gigantic, multi-story space that even extended back to the warp nacelles. That is to say nothing of the rec room scene, where most of the crew, including a large variety of alien species, was assembled. 
Those that grew up with the original series only saw a handful of crew at any one time. It's easy to see why Jojo Cracko, one of the gangsters in a piece of the action, didn't believe that there was a crew of 400 on the ship. Now we get to see them, and it is impressive. I mentioned before how the scene with the Enterprise still gets me choked up, and a lot of that has to do with the music. The score to this movie is what I measure all other Trek music against, whether it's another movie or one of the TV series. Luckily, the Next Generation theme uses the main titles here to great effect, and is probably why I felt it was Star Trek when I first saw Encounter at Farpoint. This is also most likely behind my reaction when I first saw Deep Space Nine, which was, This isn't Star Trek! I have since changed my mind and consider DS9 to be one of my favorite television shows. Of course, all this took its toll on the original series when I started watching that. I remember seeing the show's rerun on WPIX Channel 11 out of New York. Didn't matter if Spock was blinded, or Kirk was killed, or McCoy went bonkers and escaped into the past. I knew they'd be alright. They were in the movie, after all, and that came after this. You can see how it would take some of the tension out of the TV show. I should point out that I had seen Star Wars at some point in here, since I can remember going to the theater in the mall with my mom and younger sister. But that must have been around the time of the re-release for Empire, because my sister wasn't born until 1978. I had plenty of Star Wars toys, but at this point, they were just G.I. Joes to me, with different stuff. I didn't really get hooked on Star Wars until Return of the Jedi came out, but by then my geekiness was in full force, thanks to Star Trek. In fact, I know the motion picture so well that I used to use it as a sleep aid after a Boy Scout camping trip. When I was in Scouts, we would have a weekend camping trip about once a month. Like most of the rest of the troop, I didn't get a huge amount of sleep. I mean, we were a group of boys. In the woods! Around a fire! It was wonderful! So, when I would get home Sunday afternoon, I'd take a shower. Remember, group of boys in the woods. We got filthy. And I would lay on the couch watching the motion picture. I'd go to sleep, not because the movie was boring, but because I knew it so well. You see... The way my brain works is it will latch on to something that is not really familiar with and have to know what's going on, preventing me from falling asleep. It's a great thing when you're tired and driving, but it's not so great when you're on the couch trying to take a nap. Yes, I could have just gone to bed, but even though I was exhausted, I still needed to wind my brain down from the weekend. Letting it go on autopilot was just the way to do that. I think I've been going on long enough about the movie right now. Let's take a break, after which I'll tell you about another aspect of Star Trek that I loved as a kid, and still love now. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am a terrible geek. I don't watch Doctor Who, I don't care for anime, I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I like Star Wars and Star Trek okay, but I've never really ventured far into the extended universes of either property. Hell, I have never even watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. 
So what do I like? Comic books. I've been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I've been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. To deal with this borderline personality disorder, I started a podcast in 2007 called Views from the Long Rocks. Every two weeks, or so, depending on real life, I pick a particular series or issue or character or whatever to talk about, and then I, well, well, I talk about them, because that's kind of the point of a podcast. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have a guest, like my semi-regular co-host, The Irredeemable Shag, or my other semi-regular co-host, Thomas DJ, or with another friend from the podcasting world. The show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, and from there you can find the iTunes link, the email address, as well as the backlog of episodes. Views from the Longbox. A podcast about comics, or a desperate cry for help? You decide. Every other Tuesday, or so, depending on real life at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Mr. Scott. Shall we give the Enterprise a proper shakedown? I would say it's time for that, sir. I... Before this drama unfolds, we give welcome to the ones named Kirk and Spock. You! What planet is this? Which one of you is the captain? Violate the treaty, Captain. Sir, someone is stealing the Enterprise. What are you scratching at? <laughs> Humans make illogical decisions. Join Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell, the two true freaks, every month for a new episode of Star Trek Monthly Monday. Every month you will get a classic episode of Star Trek the Original Series, a Star Trek comic, and who knows what else. Episodes of Star Trek Monthly Monday can be found for free at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Libsyn spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. They can also be downloaded for free from iTunes. Welcome back. 
Now, I'd like to talk to you about Star Trek The Animated Series. Growing up, I was all about the Filmation shows. He-Man, Flash Gordon, Tarzan. Heck, I even remember Lassie's Rescue Rangers. You're on the internet. Look it up if you don't know what I'm talking about. But top of my list was Star Trek. Not only did most of the original cast come back, all except Walter Koenig, but we got some interesting advances that carried through to later incarnations. Remember why I said about there being a lot of alien crew members in the motion picture? Well, that started in the animated series. It makes sense to see why a 60s TV show on that kind of budget couldn't have regular aliens on the ship, at least those that didn't require more than pointed ears and a green pallor. But when you animate the show, the possibilities open up. Chekhov was replaced by Lieutenant Arix, a three-armed and three-legged alien. Uhura was sometimes relieved by Lieutenant Mares, a literal Catwoman. Added to that, we got to see a lot of other alien species that would not have been pulled off in live action without spending a ton of money. Remember, this was before CGI, so everything had to be a practical effect, whether it was makeup or some other aspect of the show. Another plot device, I mean, piece of technology, that was added in the animated series was the holodeck. That's right, the holodeck was not a next-generation invention. It first premiered in the episode The Practical Joker, where it was called The Recreation Room. Also notable is that this episode featured the first ever holodeck malfunction to endanger the lives of the crew. That's another one for Scott Gardner to add to his list. I should point out that this episode had a very interesting solution to get the crew off the holodeck. Unlike the next generation, where they would spend the whole episode trying to diagnose the problem and they couldn't pull the crew out for whatever reason, Scotty got a couple of crew members, two crowbars, and opened the door. Then the crew just walked out under their own power. Unfortunately, there was something introduced in the animated series that wasn't carried on, and this was the force field belt. This was a white belt that away teams would wear, which surrounded them with a gold force field and allowed them to breathe and otherwise be protected from harsh environments. It was a great and simple idea that came out of Filmation not wanting to animate the same figure in a different mode of dress. As anyone who has seen one of their cartoons knows, they love to use stock shots and have a minimum of new images in each episode. Still, this would have worked really well on later TV shows, with just some easy rotoscoping, especially when there was some kind of virus loose that a containment suit could have helped with. It's interesting to see how, regardless of all the advanced technology on the later shows, Next Generation and on, a simple thing like virus containment seems to have been forgotten. I have rewatched many of these animated series episodes as an adult, both with and without my five-year-old daughter, and I have to say that the majority of them hold up. It definitely works if you think about it as a fourth and fifth year of the series, which is how I think it was intended to be. Oh, you didn't know the animated series had two seasons? Well, it did, even if the second season was only six episodes. 
which would fill out the original five-year mission. Yes, the shows are only a half hour long, and the plots are more streamlined because it was aimed at children, but there aren't any turnabout intruders in there, at least in my opinion. Well, that wraps it up for this first episode. I hope you enjoyed it, and come back next time. I don't know what my topic will be, but you can rest assured that it will be something geeky and something I feel passionately about. You can reach me with any questions or comments by emailing gene, that's G-E-N-E, at thehammerstrikes.com. You can also find The Hammer Strikes at thehammerstrikes.com and on Facebook and Google+.